I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8. I believe over the next few weeks, the Lord has just kind of uh, uh, impressed upon my heart to look at this, this chapter. So, uh, of course, with the revival meeting and, and that will... Uh, I think this really leads to the revival meeting as well. But even after that, we're going to be kind of looking through this very important chapter of Romans chapter 8. And uh, I think you'll, when we get into it, I think you'll see why that is in that. So uh, I encourage you, again, if you have your Bibles there, Romans chapter 8. We're going to read the first four verses together. Romans chapter 8, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh." that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So today we're going to be talking about what it means to be free from guilt and sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. What a blessing it is to read this. And looking at Romans chapter 8, Romans is just a, a wonderful book in itself, and maybe one day we'll actually kind of go through it, the entire book itself, but we're going to kind of park here in chapter 8 especially. Um, when we look at Romans chapter 8, some commentators have likened the Bible. They described it like a ring. And if so, Romans would be the diamond. And then Romans chapter 8 would be the sparkle of the diamond of the ring. So it's a very, very important passage that we're looking at today. So in looking at Romans chapter 8, this here, this chapter here follows Paul's description of our inward struggle with the flesh. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, we kind of looked at that about how we have power for victory, for victorious Christian living. We've been kind of talking off and on through the summer here, the summer months of living in victory. How do we live in victory? And, and a lot of that comes to knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. That's really the source of our victory. It's knowing who we are in Christ. And in Romans chapter 8, we're going to kind of dive into that head first. So very, very important as we do that. So I want us to kind of mention this. Okay, what are we talking about here? Again, it says here in Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That very, the first part of that verse there, I've just been going through that in my mind over and over again. In fact, had he, how many got, had good sleep last night? Okay, I didn't for whatever reason, and that's not normal for me, but I just kind of tossed and turned. But every time I woke up, Maybe it's because I was studying this yesterday. Every time I woke up, I had that verse. There is therefore now no combination to those that are in Christ Jesus. I got up finally this morning to get ready, and that verse came to my mind. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I'm like, wow, God, you are trying to tell me something here. And I think what an encouragement that is. And having the word of God uh, just a part of your daily life. I talk about this. What is it like to, to live the Christian life in a practical way? Very simple. Read your Bible. Pray every day and obey. Pretty simple. Put into practice. Oh, we're not so good at that, are we? Okay, let's be honest. But the thing is this, how do we, if you have struggles and trials in life, how are you going to get through them? A lot of us, we try to get through it our own strength. We try, man, I can figure this out on my own. Guys, we're kind of a fix-it mentality, all right? We see our lawnmower not working. 
some guys here anyways, they're going to, I know Harvey would, he's going to try to fix it. Okay. He knows how to fix it. If my, if my uh, lawnmower doesn't work, I'm going to go to Harvey. I will say that. But I think generally guys, we're going to try to at least investigate the problem. We're going to try to make it work. The thing is this, as we do it in our own strength and in the Christian life, how much we struggle with how, you know, just getting over obstacles and trials in life. When circumstances come, how do we deal with that? And I encourage you that trials and struggles will come. It's just part of life and part of our sin-cursed world that we have. That does happen. But how are you going to get through it? And I encourage you to stay true to God's Word. Read the Bible, pray every day, and obey. Keep that as a consistent diet for that. So with that in mind, as we look at this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There's a, a lot of times you'll hear a preacher say this. When you look at a therefore, you, you have to know what is therefore, okay? And so I believe here, and there, there's a couple different thoughts on this, that some believe that what Paul is doing here in Romans 8 is really the culmination of everything he said before in the book of Romans, beginning in chapter 1. Um, and I think, and we'll kind of address that briefly as well, but I think also we're looking at what he just said here in chapter 7 about our inward struggle that we have within us as well. But let's kind of take that big overall view of, of the book of Romans. The Bible says that, talking about, he talks about who he is, who Paul is. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, a servant of God. And then also he mentions here, he's introducing the gospel, that the gospel is the, to give unto the power, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Praise God. It's not to the Jew only. It's also for the Gentiles. It's not for the Gentiles. It's also for the Jew. Praise God. It's a gospel for everyone. But there's a big problem. Because why? That starting in the last part of Romans 1 to chapter 3, verse 20, that Paul brings us out. There's not much good news. Why? Because we live in sin. We have a sin-fallen world. Each and every one of us are fallen and finite. He talks about that the pagan world is guilty. Chapter 2, he talks that the Jewish people are guilty, the religious are guilty. And then chapter 3, he kind of just sums it up, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not much good news there in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. And then starting in chapter 3, at the end of that, chapter 4, he describes a little bit what salvation is. Uh, that the wages of sin is, actually chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. He talks in chapter 5 that uh, we have peace with God, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the sacrifice of what Jesus did in 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered in the world. Death by sin, death passed upon all men. All have sin. We all are dealing with this sin nature. In chapter 6, he talks about that sin's power that have that Christ has freed us from. The death of Christ has freed us from that. So this is very important. In chapter 7, I know this is a very kind of a quick overview, but in chapter 7 here, Paul talks about the differences, uh, about the indwelling sin that we do have and the struggle that's within us. One day we want to do what's right. And guess what? We fail, don't we? Which we get on a good track, and it seems like, man, I've been going to church, I've been praying, I did my devotions this morning, and then guess what? Someone cuts us off on the way to work, and it just ruins our day, right? And we get in the flesh. We might say a thing or two. Might do a thing or two. Better not, okay? we got to keep this in check, folks. And Paul is kind of saying with his own self the struggle that he does have within that. So look with me in chapter 7, in verse 20, let's start in verse 21. 
It says here, for I delight in the law of God and after the inward man. In other words, I delight to do, I want to do what God wants me to do. But there's a problem. It's that conflicting nature that we have. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And And then he kind of, in desperation, cries out in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? What's he talking about here? Basically, he's talking about the two natures we have. You see, when we get saved, we are, we are new creatures in Christ. All things are, what? Passed away. All things are become new. Exactly. We, it's a different. We were passed from death to life, from darkness to light. So all those things have, are taking place right there. But guess what? We're still in this flesh, and we still deal with what the Bible calls here the old man talking about our, our sinful nature. Now, guess what? That old man is dead. When we are in Christ, we are made alive. Okay? Praise God for that. But that old nature just kind of hangs around, doesn't it? And if and until we get to heaven, we're going to still, still deal with that. We still deal with sin in our own lives. I battle with thoughts in my own mind, in our own hearts. We, we deal with this on a daily basis, folks. So then how then do we have victory? How can we overcome the temptations and the struggles that we face even on a daily basis? How can we win in this, in this spiritual battle, so to speak? The answer is found here at the very end of Romans 7. It says this, Who shall deliver me from the body of the sin and death? Verse 25, I thank God through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. And so it's through Jesus Christ that we have victory based on what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. Jesus died for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. He died for each and every one of us. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. For that, we should be eternally thankful because that has given us hope, that has given us promise that we can definitely live for him, have new life in him. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, even so you will have that new life as well. Praise God. When we get to glory, when we get to heaven, folks, guess what? This will be a memory. The sinful flesh that we have, this will be a memory. Praise God. But what do we do in the meantime? How do we do it? In chapter 7, actually, Paul uses a lot of personal pronouns. I, me, my, all the struggles that he is dealing with, okay? But in chapter 8, almost pretty much that all goes away. Because this is the thing. When we struggle in our own Christian life of how to do right, how to please God. Guess what? A lot of times we struggle. I'm trying, God. I'm really trying. Help me. And the thing is this. How do we get the foundation for our life that will set us on a firm foundation to live for God? And it's found in our position in Christ, who we are, our standing before him. Who, who does God see us? How does God see us is the idea. Let me kind of summarize one more thing before we get into Romans 8, though. Let's talk about the marks of a believer. Just because you struggle with sin does not mean you've lost your salvation, so to speak, okay? We're not talking about that. But what are some marks of a believer? And I want to do this as an encouragement. A believer, a true believer in Christ, is conscious of the struggle within. In other words, if you are a child of God, you will notice that there is a struggle going on. Paul felt that himself. Also, a believer desires to follow the Lord. He says, I desire the law in my inward parts. He says, I desire that. And he also longs to be delivered from sin. 
an unsaved person doesn't really long for that, okay? A Christian is looking for that deliverance. God, please help me in this environment, okay? This is important. So then a believer thanks God for the deliverance. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we thank God for our deliverance. This is the marks of a believer. In this, Christ gives us victory over sin, and through him we have deliverance. We do not need to live under the taskmaster of the old law. If it were there, it simply it, it was there simply to reveal our sin and appoint us to Christ. That's the purpose of the law. Okay? The law itself is good, but guess what? We're not we're the ones who break it. Okay? Uh, I've said this before, I think a couple weeks ago, that a, a law is good, is really good if you're innocent. Understand that? A law is really good if you're innocent. In other words, there's a law that says don't rob a bank, right? Hopefully no one's broken that law, okay? Don't admit it, all right? All right? But the thing is this, that law is great. Why? Because you would never do such a thing. I'm innocent. But guess what? When we look at the law of God, guess what? We all have broken that law. That's, that's what's happening here. But here's the thing. The law reveals our sin, points us to Christ. We will never have mastery over our sin by our own power. And this is what I want us to understand, that victory and deliverance over sin must come uh, from through Jesus Christ. Very important. Okay? Uh, A.W. Tozer, who I love to read his books, I recommend his books to you as well, uh, he said this, For sin's human captives, that's us, God never intends anything less than full deliverance. God doesn't give you a partial deliverance. He doesn't simply uncuff one wrist of the handcuffs. No, he sets you free, indeed. The God who by his word proclaims men free by the power of the gospel actually makes them free. Christ has made us free. This is very important. So kind of just as an encouragement as we start this message here, this is still introduction, okay? Whereas many Christians feel defeated by daily struggle with the flesh, one day we will have full deliverance and victory in Christ in his presence in heaven. Praise God for that. Today, though, what do we do? I encourage us to yield ourselves, to submit to Christ, rest in his power for victory. That's not found in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, as we come here to Romans 8 now, we will look at the surety about the victory that we have in Christ as through him we have freedom from guilt and sin. This is very, very important. We have a sure victory found in Jesus Christ. In him, we have freedom from guilt and sin. Amazing, as we think about that. So first of all, I want us to know, we're going to look at each of these four verses here at the beginning, that number one, our freedom is found in our position in Christ. Our freedom is found in our position in Christ. Again, it says here, there is therefore now no condemnation which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This message, first of all, that you read here, is meant for the believers, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. For the believer, there is no condemnation. Amazing. We should be, I mean, put an exclamation point on that, all right? There is no condemnation for the believer. However, for the believer, for the unbeliever, what does it say? Let me quote to you some verses. John 3, verse 18 says this, He that believeth on him, on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not, the unbeliever, is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For those who have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, folks, those people are condemned. That's what the Bible says. That's a real thing. That's a sobering thing. It really should really contemplate. When we talk about revival, we think about the sinners get saved and the saints get sanctified. That's important here. But they're, they're under condemnation. 
John 5, verse 24, Jesus said this, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, He that hears my words and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death to life. So again, for those who have placed their trust in Jesus, they do not face that condemnation. I like what one preacher said this, For the unbeliever, condemnation is before them. The penalty has been issued. But for the believer, condemnation is now behind them. It's in the past. So praise God for that. I like what one commentator says, talking about no condemnation. What are we talking about here? He says, We receive the glorious declaration from God's court. We receive it, though we certainly deserve condemnation. You know what the Bible says in Romans, and Paul is laying this out very carefully, that all the world is condemned in our sin. There is no hope in and of ourselves. We cannot save ourselves, folks. There's not enough good works that I can do to merit God's favor. Okay? But what can I do? I can come before him, pleading, God have mercy on me. This is what we do, trusting in Jesus Christ. We deserve that condemnation. But we receive this standing. Now, no condemnation, because Jesus bore the condemnation we deserved. And our identity is now in him. As he is condemned no more, neither are we. That is very important. And the condemnation is the idea. As what? It's basically a, it's a, um, it's definitely, a, it's, it's guilt. You are guilty. But within that guilt, there's also punishment uh, with that. It's called penal servitude is the kind of the official name for that. But anyways, as we think about this, the condemnation is this, that you are guilty because of your sin. But you're also facing the penalty, which is what? The wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. This is what's going to happen because of your sin. And now, though, that we're in Christ, Jesus took that condemnation with that. And we're going to talk about more of how that happened in a second. But now, guess what has happened? That penalty has been removed. So when we are saved, we are saved from the penalty of sin, which is death. You don't have to face that eternal separation from God. Wow. What a blessing that is, okay? I like what, uh, how many have ever heard of Adrian Rogers before? Love Worth Finding? I, I got a story. Uh, years ago, I actually got to have breakfast with his wife and son uh, at a convention. Just amazing. A lover of Israel. A lover of the Jewish people. Amazing, uh, amazing family. Of course, he's in glory now. But uh, he said this, concerning this. There is only one person in the entire universe who has the power con- to condemn you. Think about that. And that is God. Sin is breaking God's law. And he is the one who is responsible for punishing us or for punishing sin. But if you are in Christ, God wants you to know that there is zero condemnation for you. Jesus was condemned on the cross for your sins so that God could free you from condemnation. That's beautiful. Jesus took your condemnation. He paid the price for your sins on the cross. Why? Because God so loved the world, he loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. Praise God for that. Pastor Adrian Rogers said, in addition to that, he says that the next time Satan tries to accuse you and remind you of your sin, just look at him and say, my sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ, and who shall lay anything to the charge of God's life? Satan has no power over you, folks. He can accuse you. He can say all things he wants. It's like that kid on the playground who tries to make names at you or call, call you different names and all that. He has really no power over you unless you let him. Okay? 
it doesn't change who you are. No matter what your accuser says, it doesn't change who you are in Christ. Very important as we see this. So again, next time Satan tries to do it, or even your mind tells you, hey, you've messed up, you're failed, you're no, you're no longer you know, under Christ's blood. So, no, Christ has done it. He has declared it. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That secures our relationship with him, folks. And no one can take that away. You can't take that away. And God has promised us eternally. Pretty amazing. Adrian Rogers goes on to say this. Your sin is forgiven and Satan can no longer accuse you of it and burden you with guilt. Amazing. When Satan hurls condemnation at you, you simply point to the cross and says, my condemnation has been handled by God. I, I don't know if you understand this, folks. That is absolutely amazing. Can you imagine walking into a courtroom? You're pronounced guilty. The penalty has been served. You're going to die. Capital punishment. And guess what? Someone has come in to take your place. Your advocate that says, I will go in place. I will take his condemnation for you. And you walk out a free man, a free woman. I don't know about you. If you were in that courtroom and that was your place, you'd be probably hop, skipping and jumping out of there, folks. You're doing a happy dance. I don't know what you want to do. But you should be excited. Christian, you should be excited that you are no longer under sin's condemnation. You're no longer under God's condemnation. You are free in Christ. You are free from guilt. You are free from sin. That changes everything. Because, folks, why? We are secure in Christ. Let's look at that verse a little bit more deeper, deeper now. It says, Therefore, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Paul makes a point several times in his in his writings about being in Christ or in Christ Jesus. Very important. This phrase, in Christ, it, this phrase, this is what uh, commentator Matthew Poole wrote. This phrase uh, imports that there is a mystical or spiritual human union between Christ and, his, and the believers. This is sometimes expressed by Christ being in them and here by their being in Christ. Christ is in believers by his spirit and believers are in Christ by faith. So how are we in Christ? This is kind of what he's answering here. Christ is in us through his Holy Spirit. Jesus, actually, we talked about this with the teens this morning in Sunday school, that God has given us a helper, a comforter that will dwell within us. Okay, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. And so in that, you are secure in Christ. Okay, very important. And as believers, how are we in Christ? We are believers by him, by faith. By grace, you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And guess what? You are created unto good works then. You're not saved by good works, but you're saved to do good works, to serve him in that. And that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit that's within you. Here in chapter 8, Paul actually mentions about 18 or 19 times the Holy Spirit and his work in and through the believer. How important we, a lot of times the Holy Spirit, he's just in the background pointing us to Jesus Christ. That's his job. But how important, how powerful the Spirit's presence in our life. And in Christ, and through the Spirit, we are free from guilt. We are free from condemnation. We are free, really, from damnation, is the idea. Praise God for that. But here as you think about that, in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, we are free from the guilt of sin. And now in verse 2, and I kind of want to go there now, we are free from the power of sin. You're free from the guilt of sin. Now you're free from the power of sin in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. 
Okay, now here's something that kind of trips us up a little bit. When we read that, it says, for the law of the spirit, and then you're talking about the law of sin and death. So there's two laws here, the law of spirit, the law of sin and death. When we talk about this law, what's, sometimes we think in our mind, we think of a few things. We're maybe thinking about, maybe if you're thinking Bible way, you're thinking the laws of, of Moses, the, the Torah, for example. Okay, you're thinking that way. But the, the way that Paul's describing here, it's not really concerning that, like the laws that are on the books, like, you can only go 55 miles an hour. That's a law, okay? Can't rob a bank. That's a law. It's not talking about that. This is talking more about there's laws that are principles. Think of like the law of gravity, for example, okay? There's no law that con Congress did not make a law of gravity. You can read the Constitution. I don't think it's there, all right? So, but maybe it's written with gravity, you know, but anyways, nonetheless, but the law here refers to really a principle like the law of, of gravity. For example, let's say here, got my pocket, my keys, okay? We know basically what's the law of gravity. What, what must go up, go up, what must come down. We all understand it, right? right? Even Dave understands it, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Just for clarification. But what, what is this? The, the law here that we're talking about, there's a natural pull that's going to come down. This, the, my keys are going to fall down. And that's the thing. In our own sin nature, talking about the law of sin and death, in our sinful state, what's going to happen? We're going to simply fall. That's what our, our sinful nature is like. It's, that's the end result. We're simply going to fall. But what's the point here? The law of the Spirit, when we are in Christ, when we are no longer under condemnation, when we are free from the guilt of sin and the power of sin, this is how God works. God has the power to change that and basically stop it right there. That's what the law is about. God has the power to stop our sin nature in its tracks and go to reversal. You could probably, and this is a little bit different, but think of an airplane. An airplane, you get this big hunk of steel and metal up in the air. How many of you are like, man, I can't, I do not like to fly. I'm just thinking the worst thing's going to happen type of thing. Okay, we're thinking that. But what happens? You talk about velocity and thrust, and you're going against gravity and drag, you know, as, as an airplane goes, goes up in the sky. Okay? It, it kind of goes against the law of nature if you're, you're working against it. Here's the thing. This is the point of this. When we talk about the law of gravity, or let's talk about the law of the spirit, which is in Christ, or the law of sin and death. We are pulled down by the law of sin and death. Christ has the power over this law to give us life. That's the difference that we have here. Just as I caught the keys in midair and I can bring it back up, I have, at least in a limited way, power to reverse that. Jesus Christ has all power. If you look at this passage here, we know three things about God, right? That God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere. God is omniscient, which means God... And then the last is God is... Um, Nipotent, which means God is all-powerful. And when we see this here, we really see the wisdom of God for sure in this. We see his presence, that he's done this through the ages. But also, he has all power to change lives and change our course and direction. For those who place their trust in him, your life can be forever changed when you come to him. You see, the thing is this, that the, the power here, the, the power or the law of sin and death... Here's the thing. Sin corrupts and death consumes. In our natural state, it's not a happy ending, folks. It's not a happy ending for this world. Sin corrupts and death consumes. We can't escape that, folks. But with Christ, we can. 
In Christ, we are free from the law of sin. And even though we do sin, the, the Christian does not have to sin now. Before, you're under that power. That's part of your nature. And now in Christ, here's the thing. Sin does not have that same power over you. You are free from that. So the Christian, they do not have to sin. In other words, sin's a choice because he's freed from sin's dominion. We are free from the law of death because death, therefore, has no longer any lasting power over the believer. Later on, in Romans 8, oh de- or actually in 1 Corinthians 15, he even says this, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Okay, it does not have any lasting power over us. Why? Because as Jesus rose again from the dead, we also will rise again, just as our Savior did. Amazing. This is amazing. So with that, we think we say this, that our, our freedom that we have is found in our position in Christ, is found in the power of the Spirit, and now our freedom is secured in the Savior's sacrifice. Look with me in verse 3. For the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. And so in verse 3 here, we see what Jesus Christ did for us. How was this, how was this made possible? How was our freedom made possible? It's found in what Jesus did for us. The law itself, and now this law here in verse 3, this is talking, now we're talking more about the law of Moses, let's say, the Torah. You think of all the do's and don'ts, everything that was given for us. The power, the, the, that itself, the law, was given to us to be a schoolmaster, it says in Galatians, to point us to Jesus Christ. The law itself, you could keep all the rules and regulations you wanted, the Mosaic law, but that could not transform you. It could guide you, but it could not transform you. It can't give life. That's the difference, okay? But that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. Really amazing when you think about that. This law could not defeat sin. It could only detect it. It could point it out, okay? Actually, Galatia, or I mean, early on in Romans, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, I didn't know I was breaking a law. Have you ever been pulled over and the officer says, hey, did you know you were doing this and that? You know, in some town, and I didn't even know that law existed. Have you ever done that? You broke laws you didn't even know existed? <laughs> Don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> nice tries, the officer will say, all right? So, but anyways, there are laws that we might not know existed, but we broke it nonetheless. That's God's standard. He has a high standard. Again, the law simply, simply detects sin. It simply shows us what it is. It can't defeat it. Only, here's the point, though. The law can only detect sin. Jesus, however, defeated sin. And he did that through his work on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he hath made him Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In this verse that we see here, that God sent his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh. In, in other words, here's the point. Jesus, Jesus was God, very God. He was also man, very man. He had full humanity as well. But the difference is this, according to Hebrews, that he was at all points tempted as we are, yet what? Without sin. In other words, Jesus was a true man, but sinless. He was the only perfect man, and he was the only perfect sin uh, sacrifice. So when we, when we see this, Jesus was not sinful, but it says something very interesting in verse 3, that God sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That last part there really speaks not just of sin, but really a sin offering. During the times of, of uh, most of the children of Israel, for example, they would offer different offerings. This is a sin offering. Jesus Christ became that sin offering 
for us on our behalf. He took that condemnation that God merited out. He, he took that upon himself and he did that for us. Amazing. Beautiful. Here's the point. Since Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and since we are in Christ, God will not condemn us. We are free from guilt and sin. You see, freedom from guilt and sins now helps us to experience, and you might remember these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's life and liberty is found in verse 2. We are free from the law of sin and death. That's life and liberty. And then the pursuit of happiness is found in verse 4. It says this, For the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So here's the point. Our freedom enables us to live righteously. What's the point of being free? To do whatever you want to do? A lot of people think so. But the idea is this, that the freedom that Christ has given us enables us to do right, to live righteously, to live in a right way. How is this accomplished? It's accomplished by walking in the Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit that God has given us. It says here at the end of verse 4, who walk, for those who have been fulfilled, says, who walk not after flesh, but after the Spirit. So the righteousness of the law, the Torah, cannot be fulfilled in the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit. In other words, you could try as much as you can to keep the Ten Commandments or whatever commandments you find. You might try to, you might do a pretty good job. Maybe you do it, let's say, 80% of the time. You're doing pretty good. Guess what? In our strength, we will fail. We will fail. We will fail. We will not succeed. How then do we succeed? How do we get victory? We have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So here's the point. Walking in the Spirit is the key to living in victory. Walking in the Spirit. In other words, you're simply just following what, the, what God says. You're following and says, Lord, teach me. Teach me your ways. Teach me your paths. Show me in your word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Let God's word be a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. All these things is the culmination of that. Walking in the Spirit. Keeping close to God. This is what it's amount to here. Walking with the Lord is the key to spiritual victory. It says in Philippians 2, verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God's working in your life. That's the way you can live in victory. Understand your position in Christ. You're no longer in him. You're free from guilt and sin. That the power is found in, in, our freedom is found in the Holy Spirit, and our freedom is secured in the Savior's sacrifice, and our freedom enables us to live righteously. So knowing our position in Christ, that we are justified we are declared righteous declared right now with god we are no longer condemned this thought should humble us it really should it should make us say thank you lord for that blessing being free from guilt and sin enables us then to live for god by the spirit i pray we would obey him we would serve him we would love him and we would trust him you want to know a difference in your life in your life with others how you relate to your neighbor, how you relate to your family, how you relate to your children. It's letting God, His Spirit, work within your life. And they're going to notice a difference in you. Why? When you follow the Lord. Very important, being led by the Spirit. It's interesting here at Romans 8, chapter 8, begins with no condemnation. And at the end of Romans 8, it deals with no separation. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in the middle... That's the bookends of Romans 8. In the middle, here we have the idea that there is no defeat in Christ. In Christ, you are victorious. And we're going to talk about that through the next few weeks of how that, that happens. So in between, we find the joy of walking in the Spirit, which is the key to living in victory. We have a firm position in Christ and a glorious future. 
So my challenge is to us today, let us live in freedom, living in the spirit, living in victory.